page. If you have a Bible or a device, I invite you to turn to 2 Timothy. We're beginning a new uh, six-week teaching series in this book. And if you're not familiar with the book, it's about someone called Paul writing to someone called Timothy and telling uh, Timothy at the end of his life, at the end of Paul's life, Timothy, be faithful to Jesus to the end. Paul's about to die, and he says to Timothy, Timothy, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith, and just like Jesus said, it's suffering now, glory later, I'm going to glory. Timothy, you keep the faith. Timothy, you be faithful to Jesus. And it's interesting in this book, we're going to find next week, he says, remember Jesus raised from the dead, descended from David. And we ask the question, why would Paul share with Timothy to remember Jesus. I mean, Timothy's been preaching about Jesus for 20 years. Timothy's been a missionary. Timothy loves Jesus. Why remember Jesus? Because at that time, there was opposition to Jesus, to Christianity. And when you encounter opposition, it's so easy to forget Jesus. This series here uh, that we're going to go through, um, I'm going to guess it's not your favorite series. It's not a series maybe that we want to hear, but it's a series we need to hear. Um, if you're new, we tend to go uh, through books of the Bible to get the whole counsel of God. Sometimes we do uh, topical sermon series where we look at what God says about a particular topic, but we tend to go through books. And so when we're going through the book of Philippi, uh, Philippians, it's like, oh, the joy of the Lord, and don't be anxious about anything, and, and mental health, and all of those things we need to talk about. Uh, we go through Proverbs, and we have a series talking about, you know, God, He really uh, speaks today, and whether to go to college or university, or get married, not get married, He wants to speak to you and guide you. Those are great series. This series, 2 Timothy, is about suffering, it's about shame, it's about opposition, and people not liking you. How many of you, I can't wait to start, right? <laughs> That's what we're going to hear about. But the reality is we need to hear it because in our culture in which we live, the narrative just continues to get stronger that this is what you are to believe. And if you don't toe the line, there are consequences. You will be canceled. You will be shamed. You'll be rejected. Uh, you'll be looked down upon. Uh, you need to toe the line. And so uh, the church, and I believe the church really isn't prepared or hasn't been prepared for it. And we see, oh, there's a person capitulating. There's a person caving in. There's a person, you know, well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I really believe that. No, we are called to be faithful to Jesus. So I hope during this series um, that you will uh, be resolute, that you will recommit your life and say, I'm going to be faithful to Jesus until I die. And uh, along the way, it's going to be battle. How many of you, you're just like, sometimes every day seems like a battle to stay faithful to Jesus. Maybe it's in your workplace, and you're just like, this is wearisome. i just rather go with the flow. Believe what everybody else believes. Anybody else, it's a battle, right? Why is that? Because it is a battle. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, hey, I've come to give you life, the abundant life. You get to know me more, you abide in me, you're going to know more of my joy, my peace, uh, my love. You're going to be a, a better friend or a better employee, better employer, better spouse if you're married, better this. It's great. And you're just, oh, I love Jesus. But Jesus also says, you're going to suffer. Not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody like me. And so it's a battle to be faithful to Jesus. So what we're going to do today as we look at 
the beginning of the letter, we're going to look at three instructions Paul gives to Timothy about being faithful, and we need to hear them today. May God encourage you to be faithful uh, in following these instructions. Before we do, I want to kind of give a background to the book. Uh, so here's a map. Uh, if we go back to, um, if, if we can get the map up there, uh, there we go. And uh, there's a map. So we go back to the first century, and uh, Paul is writing this letter of 2 Timothy, and he's in a dungeon in Rome, and it's uh, AD, uh, around AD 67. Paul died AD 68. Uh, how do we know that? Eusebius, a historian, tells us that Paul died during the 14th year of, of Emperor Nero's reign. So this is just before Paul's going to die. He doesn't know how much time he has left. Uh, his death is imminent. And so he's going um, to die right just soon. And uh, he's writing to Timothy. And Timothy is uh, over here in Ephesus, pastoring a church in Ephesus. And uh, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you be faithful to Jesus to the end. Because throughout the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire, about a hundred or so years after this, it, it reached its maximum um, territorial reign. So it went from over England here, across over to Iran, and then down here into northern Africa. So this was the Roman Empire. And um, there, there began to be persecution throughout the em empire um, because of something that happened in AD 64. So Paul originally... Um, as a missionary, he had three journeys. He came through Turkey, and then second journey uh, further into Europe, and then third journey as well. After his third journey, he goes back to Jerusalem, um, and there um, people have him arrested. He knows he's not going to get a fair trial, so he appeals to the emperor, to Caesar, and he goes to Rome. He's under house arrest for two years, AD 60 to AD 62, and he's, uh, he, he has people coming and going. He's in a house. This time, the second time when he's arrested, he's not in a house. He's in a dungeon awaiting to die. In AD 64, there's what's known as the Great Fire of Rome. Some of you may have learned that in school. Uh, the Great Fire of Rome. And uh, this is where 10 of the 14 precincts in Rome uh, were destroyed by fire. So Emperor Nero wanted to rebuild Rome. And uh, the Senate, the, the ruling party, said, no, we're not rebuilding Rome. And it just so happened that there was a fire short time after that. Golly gee. And Tacitus, uh, the historian, tells us that it was Nero, and well, Nero, some of his men, that they set fire to Rome. And Nero, realizing um, that he's going to pay for this, he blames the Christians. The Christians are the scapegoat. And so through different parts of the Roman Empire, Christians are rounded up, Paul is rounded up. So first time he's in jail, kind of not too bad. This time, he's getting ready to die, getting ready to be executed. And so that's where Paul is writing from, and he's writing again to Timothy. So uh, if we can go to the next slide. If you go to Rome today, uh, you can see this is called the Forum. Um, when I went to the Holy Land, Israel, um, I was like, okay, there's the uh, Sermon on the Mount. That's, okay, I knew that. There's the Sea of Galilee, knew that. It was kind of like, okay, this is where Jesus was. When I went to Rome, I was totally caught off guard. I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't really know this was here. This goes back 2,000 years ago to the time of Paul. Paul was right in here. This was the, the, the power of the empire was right in this area. This is where the Senate ruled. Some of us, Julius Caesar. Do you guys still study Julius Caesar in school? <laughs> right? 
okay, I know everything's online, but it's, um, yeah, Julius Caesar and the Senate and all of that right in here. But in the forum, the northeast corner, there's a prison called, we historically know as Mamertine Prison. So this is where Paul was when he was rearrested and put in this prison. It's, it's an old cistern. You can go there today and see it. Uh, notice there's no windows. Paul, it's actually dark and damp. Paul asks for his cloak. Timothy, if you come, please bring my coat. So here's where Paul is languishing, just to be about to be executed. And he says to Timothy, Timothy, be faithful to Jesus. So may God speak to you during this season that you will go to your grave faithful to Jesus. So Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and beginning in verse 1. We're looking at three instructions today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. From Paul, just about to die, Timothy, my dear son, not his biological son, but his son in the faith. Paul led Timothy to the Lord. And notice what he says there as he opens his letter. I'm holding to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul's just about to die, and he's not fearful and thinking, oh no, this is the end, what's going to happen to me? He's like, I'm holding to the promise of life that's in Christ Jesus. Paul knows we have our little stories, but there's a bigger story going on. It's a story of God revealed to us in Scripture, and the main character is Jesus, the Son, come and take it who took upon himself human flesh, and he know that, knows that Jesus rose from the dead. He saw the risen Jesus, and he knows death is not the end. He knows the Jesus who said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will not perish or die, uh, but will live. And even though uh, Paul is going to die, he knows it's not the end of the story. There's a bigger story. He knows to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When he's executed, beheaded, his spirit will go to be with the Lord. One day, his soul and spirit and his body will be reunited. So Paul, in the midst of, of that, is not full of fear, not full of despair. Promise of life. A couple things when you read your Bibles and you're, you're reading Paul. He talks about the grace of God, and when you understand that, it changes your life. But he also talks about the sovereignty of God. And when you're looking for it, you'll find it everywhere. So again, here's a statement to do with the sovereignty of God, that, that Jesus is in control. That's not the end. I've got the promise of life. And now he then, before the instructions, he just, he reaches out to Timothy and just mindful of Timothy, um, shares about their special relationship. And here's what he says, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Timothy, I want you to know, I still pray for you. Paul was a praying man. And we have to stop and ask the question, why is Paul praying? He's in a dungeon. He's as low as you can go. Paul, don't you know that prayer doesn't work? Like, don't you know the whole Christianity thing doesn't work? Like, if prayer worked, you wouldn't be in a dungeon. No, Paul knows to ask and seek and knock that God works through our prayers, but God doesn't always answer exactly the way that we want. And Paul is like, I'm going to still pray, even though I'm in this circumstance. You're going to stop praying if you don't understand the sovereignty of God. 
when you understand the sovereignty of God, you're going to continue to persevere in prayer. Paul says to Timothy, I'm still praying for you. Then he says, recalling your tears, probably when Paul was rearrested and, and that, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Timothy, I just want to remind you, you bring me so much joy. Do you have people in your life that do that? We need relationships. You need people like that. Timothy, you bring me so much joy. And then he says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Timothy was from Lystra, and you can read about this in Acts chapter 16. Paul is coming through uh, Turkey on his first missionary journey, and there he meets Timothy and his mother and his grandmother. And we're told later in this letter that Timothy knew the scriptures from childhood, that his grandmother and his mother would tell them about the Messiah, about the Old Testament. Timothy's father was a Greek. He was not a believer in Jesus, but his mother and grandmother were. And so when Paul comes through and says, you know the scriptures talking about the Messiah? I'm here to tell you about him. I saw him risen from the dead. His name is Jesus. And they, we believe, the, whole, the three of them, they got saved during his first missionary journey. When Paul comes back years later on his second missionary journey, he asks Timothy to join him. And so Timothy, during the second and third journeys, is a very close friend of Paul's. Before we move on, uh, I just want to pause for a moment. Um, how many of you have received the gift of a Christian parent or Christian parents? It's a gift. When you have a, a parent that has a genuine faith, that's a gift. I know it's not Mother's Day today, but maybe you, your mom, you could just thank you, or it's a dad. And I want to say to all our moms and grandmothers, um, don't underestimate your prayers. Don't stop praying for your kids and grandkids. Don't stop reading them Bible stories and telling them about Jesus. Don't stop being a godly influence. You may not see fruit right away, Maybe it's when you're gone. But God works through your faith. Hey, moms and dads, or moms and grandmas, what you do matters. I just want to pause one more, uh, mention one more thing. At Woodside, all the moms and grandmothers, all the dads and grandpas, all of us, even single people, together we're a church family, and we want the children at Woodside, we want them to be a success. Do we not? We want them to be a success. And if they're if this is all there is, this world, we live and we die hearing this message every day, it's all about the now, you don't know about the future, then for you and for us, a success is, is like, get a good job, maybe get a good spouse, hope you have good health, get good grace. Those are all okay things. But if it's not all about the here and now, there's a bigger story going on, what is success in the bigger story? Paul tells us. Colossians chapter 1, he's talking about the Son, Jesus, the Son who is the image, the exact representation of the invisible God. Jesus is God in the flesh, and he talks about the Son, and he says the Son is the firstborn over all creation. It's a messianic term saying that, that Jesus, the Son, rules over everything. He's sovereign, but he also says the Son, it's through the Son, Jesus, that everything was made and all things were made through him, but notice this, for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, consist. But all things were made 
for Jesus. All things were made for the God who came to this world to save us. So we as parents together, will you join me? Will you join this church family in saying, you know what a success is? That our children are following the person they were made for, Jesus. Your child or grandchild was not made for a good job, was not made for hockey. Why am I thinking about the Leafs again? Was not made to cheer for the Leafs, was not made for anything but Jesus. And a success is that they're following Jesus, even if they're in a dungeon later in their life because they're faithful to Jesus. Paul says, Timothy, I long to see you. You bring me so much joy. I'm praying for you, and you've got a genuine faith. And then he shares one more thing. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Timothy, remember the time we laid hands on you? Remember the gift that you got? We believe it's the gift of teaching and preaching. It's lying dormant, Timothy. Start using it again. If you're a Christian here today, the moment you trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, he came into you through his Holy Spirit, and you have his presence in your life, but the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life. He wants to use, help you to use your gifts and sometimes we don't use our gifts. Maybe you have the gift of teaching, the gift of administration, the gift of helps, the gift of mercy, whatever your gift is. We don't use that because sometimes we're caught up in the world and we start chasing carrots, right? Trinkets. But no, I'm to use my gifts to help others, to bless others. But there's a second reason that we sometimes don't use our gifts. It's because it's not really popular to use your gifts. It's not like, oh, you, you go to church and, and you can just kind of like, shrink back. That was Timothy. There was opposition throughout the empire. Christians were being rounded up, and he's like, I'm not sure I want to say everything boldly. And Paul says, Timothy, you start speaking using your gift. The Holy Spirit that's in you, he's not going to make you timid. He's going to give you power. He's going to give you love and self-discipline. Let him work in your life. And so Paul is writing to Timothy Timothy, love you, you're special, God's at work in your life, and now here's the first instruction. Timothy, don't be ashamed of Jesus. Keep telling people about him. Don't be ashamed, don't be embarrassed, don't be apologetic. Look what he says. Do not be so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. The testimony of the Lord, the good news about Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. Now, why would Timothy be tempted to be timid and ashamed of Jesus. It's because Timothy was in the first century in the Roman Empire, which was an honor-shame culture, and it was all about self-glory. It was all about going up the ladder and telling people how great you were. It was about your power and your position. It was about celebrity. It was about being noticed. At the bottom of the ladder were nobodies. And here is Timothy going to teach about Jesus who died on a Roman cross. Jesus is at the bottom of the ladder. Paul tells us that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Timothy, you are a fool. And he would be mocked. He'd be ridiculed, maybe even rounded up. And notice he says, and don't be ashamed of me, a prisoner. Paul was in the dungeon. He was weak. He was a nobody. Why are you associating with them? So Timothy has this temptation to be full of shame. He was timid by nature, prone to discouragement, and there's Timothy maybe going to shrink back. 
Aren't you glad in the 21st century when we talk about Jesus and tell people, just, everybody just celebrates us? And everybody just says, thank you. I get to hear the good news. You mean life has meaning beyond this small little story? Oh, thank you. Bless you. In the last decade or two, shame has become one of the most dominant forces in the West. And we see that as the cultural narrative continues to pick up steam. If you believe certain things that aren't in line with a certain cultural narrative, you will be shamed. You need to shrink back, don't say a word, or change your beliefs. And even if you suggest an alternative to the current narrative, shame. Right now, I just even this week, a couple other uh, university campuses, both of these two were in the States, but one particular uh, woman, uh, she was um, sharing an, an, uh, an alternate view to the cultural narrative, and they had to escort her off the campus with security because she was heckled. Her life was in danger. This is in the West, different campuses, different places. Like, we're telling you what to believe. If you don't believe it, there's consequences. Uh, in uh, the USA Today uh, paper, it's a national paper in the U.S., and I started reading it probably a couple decades ago, and, and I've noticed just the shift now where Christianity was kind of like tolerated, and once in a while you have an article and you feel good about that. Now it's just gone to the far side. And this week I was reading an article about some three, three athletes, and, um, and you know, they, they were Christians and said, we're Christians and, and we love everybody, but, but, you know, we can't celebrate this or we can't, you know, whatever. And, um, and so anyway, the, the sports columnist in this article in the USA Today, this is not in social media, some, somebody locked up in the room. This is, this is a national newspaper, and the journalist says, okay, these people aren't doing this, and then he talked about bigotry, he talked about judgment, and again, you know, these Christians, they believe judgment, and they believe in hell. Can you believe that? And then he talked about, and this is kind of what got my blood boiling. Okay, sorry. He talked about, in the name of Christianity, there's been so much evil, and he connected Christians to the Third Reich. And then he connected Christians, if you're Christian, to, to um, the South and the lynchings. And I'm like, that is so misrepresentative. And I wrote him a little email. <laughs> Lead with grace, speak the truth. I didn't really say what I really wanted to say, but I said, did you know that the values in today's culture that are coming at us, equality, do you know where that came from? Did it come from a, a Darwinism and a secular worldview? No, it came from Christianity. The values of love, joy, those, those things that we hold up are love and peace. They're from Christianity. Yuval Noah Harari, who's probably the leading atheist today, he says that thing. He says, in this particular secular worldview, none of those things have a foundation. And he's so true. It's all to do with the Christian worldview. And yet it's the Christians now. You're the bad people. You ought to be ashamed. You should be quiet. It's okay if you're a Christian and you say, you know what, God loves everybody. It's okay if you maybe even quote Psalm 23, but you bring up Jesus, you better be prepared. Did you know the gospel 
is inherently offensive. Who wants to be told they're a sinner and they need a savior? Right? <laughs> That's offensive. Are we willing to be ashamed for Jesus? I want to ask you, and I'm, I ask myself these questions. Do people know me as a nice person? Or do they know me as a Christian? Do I ever pray in public when people might be looking? Do I ever enter into a spiritual conversation with anybody? Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, don't be ashamed. You keep telling people about Jesus. That's a word for us today. Am I going to stand up for Jesus? Yeah, I'm a Christian. There's something um, in this text here. Again, Paul talks about the grace of Jesus, uh, and he talks about the sovereignty of Jesus. Notice what he says here in this verse. So do not be ashamed of the test. Nope, if we could go back. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me. Notice this. His prisoner. Paul knows Jesus is sovereign. Paul doesn't say, I'm Nero's prisoner. Oh, the government and Nero's got me here and, and I need to let everybody know. He's like, I'm the prisoner of Jesus. He's ultimately in control. Can I remind you that a professor ridiculing Christianity at university, and I've been to university, I've heard it, is not ultimately in control. Jesus is. If you have a boss that looks down on you because you're a Christian, your boss not, is not ultimately in control. Jesus is. If we have a government down the road that is anti-Christian and laws and legislation, government is not in control. An elected board is not in control. Your extended family member that scoffs at you because you're a Christian, not in control. You've got to grasp the sovereignty of Jesus. We don't, we're not like, oh, what are they going to do next? Jesus is working out his eternal plan. So Paul says, I'm his prisoner. So don't be ashamed, Timothy, of Jesus. Keep telling people about him. Second instruction, Timothy, don't be afraid to suffer. Join with me in suffering. Look what he says. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Timothy, God will give you the power to go through it. You stand up for Jesus and, and let the chips fall where they may. You suffer for him. Jesus suffered. Paul suffered. Did you know Timothy suffered? In Hebrews 13, 23, the writer of Hebrews, probably Barnabas, said that, hey, I want you to know, Timothy, he's been released from prison, so Timothy was imprisoned, and I hope to bring him um, with me when I come to see you. So Timothy suffered. Did you know, right down through Christian history, Christians have suffered. Oh, the abundant life of Jesus, God bless you. Not everybody's going to like you. Are you willing to suffer for that? When I was a young boy, I read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Anybody else in this? You've read Fox's Book of Martyrs? Can I see a few hands? Okay. A few of you. Okay. You guys read a bit more than the first service, so that's great. Okay. Um, just, I remember reading this Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it was just like, are you kidding me? Again, I was living in Canada, and in the Fox's Book of Martyrs um, from the first century uh, down, I think it's the 17th century or so, martyrs. So there's Polycarp, who is a, a follower of, of John. The disciple John. John says, Polycarp, I saw the risen Jesus. He really is the Messiah. And Polycarp believes. And Polycarp dies at a stake. He's burned to death. And then another follower of John, Ignatius of Antioch, he was a, a leader in the church, um, and he believed in Jesus. He is ripped apart by animals. Uh, I forgot to show you on the forum there in the back, you could have seen the Colosseum, uh, Christians, uh, the end of the first century. 
started to be fed to, to, to animals. Um, and so you see all of this. Um, some of you, William Tyndale um, in the 16th century was a, a heretic. He tried to, you know, about printing the Bible in English. Uh, he was burned at the stake. So you're just like, there's people that are willing to suffer for Jesus. But here's, uh, I want to mention this. There's a new book that's just come out called The New Book of Christian Martyrs. And it's right up to the present day. Stories of people that are willing to suffer for Jesus. If you're a Christian in North Korea, and there are some, if you're a Christian in China, if you're a Christian in certain countries in the Middle East, chances are that you're going to pay a price. Churches are being bombed. People are being kidnapped and never heard from again. There are story, there's story after story. It's not in our media, but that's happening. Two particular studies have come out recently, again, saying Christianity is the most targeted religious group in the world. So again, are you willing to suffer? Am I willing to suffer? What does it look like? We probably won't be arrested. Possibly someone might lose their job. But for most of us, it's like somebody at school doesn't think you're cool. Somebody unfriends you. Somebody doesn't like you. Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Timothy, be faithful to the end. And then Paul, so often if you follow his readings, he's like, do this, do this. But he, then he gets our, his, our eyes back on God. He says, Timothy, oh, I just want to tell you this. You might suffer. Don't be ashamed. But I want to remind you of what God has done for you and for me. Can I remind, if you're a Christian today, can I remind you of what God has done for you. Verse 9, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been saved from your sin, saved from an eternal separation from God, and you've been called to, to God. You're set apart for Him to become more like Jesus. And it's not because of anything you have done, it's because of his grace and his purpose. If you're not yet a Christian, Christianity is not about anything you do. It's about what God has done for you. But notice this. I love this story. Why am I saying sorry? Bible geek, I don't know, but listen, listen, listen to this. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. You're saved by grace. You're going to heaven to be with Jesus by grace, according to his purpose. And when did that all come about? Before the beginning of time. God is a spirit, eternal, always existed. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was a point in time where God, where God said, I'm going to create. This is a God of love. And he inserted time into creation. In our created order, we have time, which gives us arrangement, it gives us definition. But God is outside of time and space. And God's purposes are outside of time and space. Which means that you, if you're a Christian, before the creation of the world, God chose you. I know in our small stories, we choose God, man's responsibility, but the sovereignty of God, he chooses us. Ephesians 1.4, Paul says that we were chosen in Jesus before the creation of the world. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 or 21, that the Lamb, Jesus, who died on the cross for us, was chosen before the creation of the world. 
Before there's any time, anything, here's God working out his plan, and he puts into emotion a plan to save you. I don't know if you heard the good news about Jesus from a parent, but God worked it out that you'd hear it through your parent. Or maybe someone invited you to Alpha. God worked it out that someone invite you, invite you to Alpha and you hear the good news and you respond. Maybe you were driving in a car and you heard somebody sharing the good news of Jesus and in your car you gave your life to Jesus. God works out his plan. It's his plan. It is his grace. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that God is all to do with our salvation so that none may boast before him. I kind of, I do love Elmira in this region because there's not a lot of proud, proud people around in the sense that, you know, kind of like, I'm somebody. You know, I love you guys. You're so humble. Right? Sometimes I'm exposed to, you know, you go outside Elmira and it's like, oh, that person is like. Uh, but for the grace of God, that's us too. But you're just like, oh, pride is just kind of like, oh, okay. In heaven, there will not be one single person that's there to say, I'm here. You should, yeah, I'm, I'm better than these people. You should see me. Every single person will be there because of God's grace. He alone is worthy. When you understand his grace, again, the Christian walk doesn't start with becoming, oh, I gotta be a better person. It starts with beholding. And when you behold Jesus, you start to become like him. I can't believe that I'm gonna be with him for all eternity because of, for some reason, his grace in my life. Timothy it's God's grace. And then he says, and Timothy, I want to tell you about God's plan. He goes on. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. Timothy, you know the plan. At the right time, God sent his son into the world, Jesus. He died on the cross. But look what he says there. He came and destroyed death. Yeah, Timothy, I'm going to die. These people are going to kill me because I'm a Christian. My head's coming off. But I'm not fearing death because it's been destroyed. It's about life and immortality. There's a bigger story going on. And he says, Timothy, I've heard the good news. You've heard the good news. We're to share it with others. And notice there too, you may not be called to be a herald, a preacher, or an apostle, or a teacher, but if you're a Christian, you're called to be a witness to your family, to friends, even to those in your workplace. I'm a Christian. And then Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, the God who did that good work in your life, he's the same God that's got you. So don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid to suffer. Look what he says in verse 12. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Suffering, but I'm not going to be ashamed about Jesus. Why? Because I know, notice he says, he doesn't say, I know what I have believed. He says, I know whom I have believed. Christianity is not primarily about doctrine. It's not about like, you've got to believe this, you've got to believe that. It's about a person. His name is Jesus. Paul says, I know Jesus. I know the one in whom I believe. I've seen him risen from the dead. And out of the who comes the what, the doctrine. If you get the who wrong, you're going to get the what wrong. And he says, I know whom I believe. And now he then tells us about the what. And here's our third instruction. 
What, verse 13, what you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Hold, keep sound teaching, the word of God, the gospel. Hold to it. Don't abandon it. Timothy, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid to suffer. And don't abandon the gospel, the good news, sound teaching. That's a challenge for us today too, that we would not abandon the word of God, that we would not amend it, that we would not water it down. God in the Bible is our authority. It's how we see life. We interpret our culture through Scripture. But culture says, no, the Bible and God are no longer authoritative. Uh, we're getting rid of God. We're the authority. Culture's the authority. What we say goes. And so you need to interpret Scripture through culture. And do you see all those things that Scripture says about accountability, about God this and God that? You have to change it or we're shutting you down, we're going to cancel you. And we're not there yet, praise God, here, but in different parts of the world. You cannot teach the Word of God a lot of countries. Timothy, whatever happens, no matter what, don't abandon the Word of God. And then he says to Timothy, Timothy, I want to let you know there's people that aren't faithful, but Timothy, there are people that, that are. He, verse 15, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes, probably two aspiring leaders that walked from Jesus. How sad is that? And then verse 16, may the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. So as we begin this letter, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, be faithful to Jesus. Don't be ashamed of him. Don't be afraid to suffer. And don't change his word. Keep telling people. Now, let's look at Paul. From an earthly perspective, if there's just this small story, if you just die and that's it, right? If, from an earthly perspective, Paul did not have a happy ending. He was executed. Paul was not a success. If you look at Paul before Jesus, he had everything. In the Jewish world in which he lived, he was a Pharisee. He had a lucrative career. He had people saying, oh, you're worthy, you know. And he left all of that to follow Jesus. He was hated. He was hounded. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was lied about. He was imprisoned. He was stripped of everything that culture admired. He had no power. He had no position. He had no self-glory. Nobody was celebrating him. He was clothed with everything culture despised. He was weak. He was suffering. He was poor. He was being ridiculed. After 25 plus years of telling people about Jesus, here is this guy. He's an old guy in a prison, penniless. Can you bring my coat? cloak, it's, it's cold in here, with people who have abandoned him, charged with a capital crime, and soon to be executed, and we don't find him defeated and in despair. 
What a terrible world we live in. Christians are getting a bad knock. You don't find any of that. You find them full of hope. Because he's connected to the one who is the living hope. Timothy, you remember Jesus raised from the dead. And that's the call to all of us today. Are we going to remember Jesus who was raised from the dead? Are we going to say, you know what? I want to be gracious and loving, but I really believe what I believe. I'm not changing it. Can you say that? If you can't, stop and think about the alternative. Where's the cultural narrative taking you? I mean, why don't you take the narrative that's going on in Afghanistan or North Korea? Pick one of those narratives. But they all lead to a hopeless end. Be faithful to Jesus. And just a reminder, as you're faithful, Jesus, when people opposed him, was not a timid, squeaky mouse who kind of scurried from anybody that opposed him. And he wasn't a raving loudmouth insulting people. He was full of grace and truth. May we be the same. I'm going to ask you to stand as we pray. As the worship team, they're going to come and lead us in a song. Uh, but let's take a moment to pray at this time. I'm not sure where you are in your relationship with Jesus. But if you haven't been intentional and you're kind of, kind of just nonchalant, sooner or later, culture's coming for you. Would you today say, Jesus, I want to be faithful to you till I die. Jesus, I need your strength. I need your power. Would you take a moment to call out to him? Heavenly Father, as we think of the 200 or so countries around the world, we think of so many countries where Christians are being persecuted. Lord, thank you that you know each one. Thank you that you're guarding each one, that you've got each one. Lord, would you just even now give them a special sense of your presence to continue to be faithful to you. And Lord, here in Canada, we are so blessed to be in this country. Thank you. Lord, you've called us to love people and be a light here. But Lord, the reality is, is it's harder to be a Christian. And we're asking that at this church at Woodside, it would be filled with people who are saying, Lord, we want to follow you and love people. So Lord, I ask you to bring that about. Lord, I pray, there's, I confess that at times we've shrunk back. At times we haven't said anything. There's been times where uh, we've been intimidated and ashamed. Lord, help us to be bolder as we go forward. We pray this in Jesus' name.